Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, Jesus called on us to forgive others just as our Heavenly Father has forgiven us in Christ. What is the major obstacle to providing forgiveness? What is the reason we give for why we simply cannot forgive the person that has done wrong to us or done wrong to somebody that we love? I kind of hinted at it last week, but Matthew records a parable of Jesus that really gets to the heart of the issue. We are selfish. That's it. Just as forgiveness from God the Father through Jesus and from us to each other through the Spirit is the heart of the Christian faith, so selfishness is the reason why God gives the law. It's the fundamental problem with the human race. If forgiveness is the answer, selfishness is the problem. We want what we are owed. We want what we think we deserve. Forgiveness seems costless. It seems free. It seems like something that you're just giving away, like credit cards online. Why should we just let people get away with things? Shouldn't we make them do something to deserve our forgiveness? Now, there's two angles of looking at this parable of Jesus that we just heard a few moments ago. One of the reasons why we, some people, really hate this parable is because of one angle of looking at it, and that is the perspective of the workers. We've got some workers that get hired at 6 a.m., some at 9, at noon, at 5, and even right before closing time. And all of them get paid exactly the same money, a day's wage. Doesn't matter if they worked all day in the heat of the sun or just showed up at the very last minute. Doesn't matter how many bushels of apples they picked or how many baskets of blueberries, they all got the same. And it's not fair, right? It's not fair that the people that worked longest shouldn't get the same as the people that worked the least. But there is another angle to observe this parable from. The important angle, in fact, it's the angle that is God's angle and the very reason why Jesus has to tell this parable. And it's the perspective of the master. We're so quick to rush to assume, of course, that we are the workers in the vineyard that we forget that really the first person, first character in this parable is not the workers. It's the master of the house. And it describes not just what the workers are doing, but what the master does all day long. It's the master, not his foreman, not some supervisor that goes, first of all, early in the morning to go and look for workers. These are people that are dependent on somebody hiring them. We used to see groups like this in Houston, Texas, Deb and Olivia and Sophia and I. We would drive around the area around our church and there would be whole clusters of men standing on the street corner, looking, waiting for somebody who might drive by and hire them for work that day. The master goes himself. He doesn't send anybody else to do it. He is the one who is taking an interest in these workers. It's not just that he goes first thing in the morning, it's that he keeps going back over and over and over again. Now surely the master can count. 
You don't get to be a prominent owner of a vineyard without being able to add two and two together, right? So you would think that when he went first thing in the morning, he would have hired the number of workers that he needed for the day. But he didn't. It's as if he was more interested in going back and making sure that everyone had a job than making sure that all the fruit in his vineyard got picked. He cared about the workers. And what he chooses to give everyone is a denarius. Now, for those of us today, a denarius doesn't mean much. Most of us have no idea what a denarius is. But basically think of it as a day's wage. It's the coin you got for a day's labor. Now, many of us have savings. They may not be much. It might be 100 bucks. Maybe if you're fortunate, maybe it's $1,000, but it's quite possible that you also have credit cards. And so if a day goes by and you don't work that day and get your denarius at the end of the day, you're still going to eat. There's still going to be food on the table for your family. Not so much in Jesus' day. They didn't have the first bank of Nazareth or Jerusalem. They didn't have credit cards and debit cards. You were depending on getting that denarius, not just for yourself, but for your wife, for your kids, for your mother-in-law and father-in-law and great-aunts and great-uncles and everybody else that was dependent on that food for the day. And the master wants to make sure that every family in that village gets enough to be able to feed their household that evening. It's almost as if he doesn't care that much about the vineyard, that he is more concerned with the village. Because it's one village that he's concerned about, right? This is the other thing we miss because of our selfishness when we read this parable as a worker. I was visiting with our deaconess intern, Anna, some of our older members, Olga and Zygmunt, uh, this week. And we were talking about life in the old country and how back in Poland, Zygmunt's village, basically you could draw a seven-mile radius around it, and that was the world as people in that village knew it. Very few people went beyond that 10-kilometer line, even to see the rest of the county or the region or the country, never mind travel the world. And I asked Zygmunt, is it in your village where you've got that 10-kilometer radius? Did you all know each other? He said, of course, Pastor. Because our families had grown up together all of our lives. Everybody knew each other. And so as we were reading this parable, I said to him, so these, these people, these men that are standing out there looking for work, do they know each other? Well, of course, Pastor. Do their kids play together? Well, of course, Pastor. Do the mother-in-laws and mothers and grandmothers all bake together all day long for the men who have gone off to work so there's something to eat when they come home? Well, of course, Pastor. And then he got a big smile on his face because you're getting it. All of these workers are not just random CVs on Indeed.com. They are friends. They are probably even family, that they're related to one another. And so at the end of the day, when the master starts handing out a denarius to every single one of these families, because he has worked so diligently himself to go into that village and make sure everybody has a job, what kind of reaction do you think such a master would expect from the people that are getting paid? Not the one he got. 
How come Bob is going to have enough to feed his family tonight? He only worked for an hour. How come so-and-so is getting a denarius too? How come I'm not getting more money? And I have to believe that in that moment, reading what the parable says, that the master is incredibly disappointed. Shocked, even, that he, who is the master, cared more for these people and their families than they cared for each other. That he was willing to make sure every single one of those families got enough to eat that night and they couldn't have cared less. That's the point of this parable. It's meant to be a shock. It is meant to speak to selfish hearts that only care about what they're getting and say, do you know, if God looked at you that way, you would be in, as one of my professors once said, deep dippity-doo. God doesn't. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who keeps going into the village to look for the workers who don't have enough to feed their families that day, who don't have enough to live, and he calls them to himself, and he makes sure that they have what they need, and his desire is that this whole village go back that evening and celebrate. Celebrate because they have received grace. Undeserved kindness from a master that cared for them, and when they did not know how they were going to put food on the plate, he came and gave them a denarius. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? That's the whole point of this parable. Because sin focuses our attention on what we think we deserve. Grace focuses our attention on what we don't deserve, but receive freely anyway. And our God is gracious. He seeks us out. He knows what we need. He wants everyone looked after. He takes a personal interest, not just sending intermediaries, but his one and only son, God himself, comes in the flesh to seek and save those who are lost. He doesn't just delegate it to angels and others, but he chooses to come to save his people. And he is intensely frustrated by our lack of joy faced with his generosity, generosity that we can only say is unfair. So Paul speaks to us in his letter to the Philippians. He warns about people that were preaching Christ not to save people, but for their own self-aggrandizement, for their own pocketbooks. Boy, I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. And what does Paul say about this? Does he say we need to form an inquisition? We need to go after those people that are preaching about the generosity of God in Christ, but they're doing it for their own good, for their own wealth? He says the craziest thing. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Do we go after the one and praise the other? No. Paul says only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, 
I will rejoice. If Paul were thinking like the workers in the vineyard at the end of the day, he would rejoice in one and be upset at the other, wouldn't he? But he isn't. He says, support the ones doing it out of love, go after the ones who are selfish. No. Paul sees everything from the perspective of his master that has shown him grace. Who cares why they're preaching the gospel? The important thing is that they are, and that people are hearing about a God who, rather than simply looking at his people and saying, you have failed and condemning them, he sends his son. He says, I love you, and I will save you, and I will show you mercy. Still, the people will cry, it's not fair. And our answer should be, you are right. It's not fair. And we are so glad it's not. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You are selfish. I am the God of grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.